Psalm 136. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who by understanding made the heavens, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who spread out the earth above the waters, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who made the great lights, for his steadfast love endures forever. The sun to rule over the day, for his steadfast love endures forever. The moon and stars to rule over the night, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for his steadfast love endures forever and brought Israel out from among them for his steadfast love endures forever with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for his steadfast love endures forever to him who divided the Red Sea in two for his steadfast love endures forever and made Israel pass through the midst of it for his steadfast love endures forever but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down great kings, for his steadfast love endures forever, and killed mighty kings, for his steadfast love endures forever. Sihon, king of the Amorites, for his steadfast love endures forever, and Og, king of Bashan, for his steadfast love endures forever, and gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever, a heritage to Israel his servant, for his steadfast love endures forever. It is he who remembered us in our low estate, for his steadfast love endures forever, and rescued us from our foes, for his steadfast love endures forever. He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. This is the word of our Lord. Well, we all know that it's embarrassing when we forget birthdays and anniversaries. But we also know that there is miles of difference between forgetting your boss's birthday and forgetting your mom's birthday. Those two things are very, very different. There's almost no comparison. And this psalm, Psalm 136, it, it, it really has a lot to do with that kind of forgetfulness, the latter forgetfulness, the forgetfulness towards someone who is especially important. It is a psalm that tells us to give thanks to God, in fact, commands us to give thanks to God, which involves, if nothing else, remembering uh, who he is. And so uh, this psalm in many ways attempts to, to uh, throttle the heart, to draw, uh, draw the heart of the Christian. Uh, this psalm attempts to motivate us to uh, make good on the command at the beginning of the psalm and at the very end of the psalm, the command to thank uh, God. But the poet is tender. And the poet doesn't want to motivate our hearts by guilting us for what we have forgotten. You have forgotten him, God. You have done that. And so the poet could guilt us for having forgotten God in the first place, but he doesn't. 
And he also doesn't motivate us to give thanks, uh, motivate us to uh, keep his commandment to give thanks by uh, telling us over and over again, try harder next time, try harder, try harder, try harder. He doesn't do that either. Instead, he simply tells us something about God. And he does it again, and he does it again, and again. You see, the poet of Psalm 136 believes that because God showers his children with the love of his own character, they cannot help but be marked in some way with thankfulness to him. I think that's the the theme of our psalm this morning. The poet believes that because God showers his children with the love of his own character, they cannot help but be marked by his thankfulness. And I want to say three things about this psalm. I don't ordinarily uh, outline a psalm in this way. I, I generally group the, uh, the verses together, and uh, that then forms the outline. But I think this outline will work a little bit better for this particular psalm. Uh, I want to say three things. I want to say, um, uh, looking at this psalm, how the command to give thanks works. How the command works, because there's a command at the beginning of the psalm. And I also want to uh, say this. I want to say uh, what the repetition in this psalm means. So how the command works, what the repetition means. And then I want to close by asking this question. Who exactly is this psalm for? So how the command works, what the repetition means, and who this psalm is for. So how the command works. And I want us to see this. That the command at the beginning works through God's own love. Now, aside from the repetition 26 times of this phrase, for his steadfast love endures forever, uh, this is a psalm that right on the surface, in a very loud way, commands us to give thanks. In fact, commands us four times in verse 1, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Verse 2, give thanks to the God of gods. Uh, verse, uh, verse uh, 2, verse 3, give thanks to the Lord of hosts. Verse 26, at the very, very end, give thanks to the God of heaven. And so uh, there you have it. From beginning to end, this psalm is actually uh, a very eloquent, very beautiful, very touching command. And perhaps it may even be a stern command. You see, the poet desires actually to alarm us and uh, to, uh, as it were, to change, uh, change our path, to uh, realign us. If we're not uh, giving thanks, what then do you suppose we are doing? Are, are we living before God without acknowledging him? Are we uh, living merely for ourselves? Are we living in dark, abject ignorance? What is it that we're doing? Well, the poet wants to shock us. Why do we need this command? I think he's giving us more than a hint. Because when you see the names that he uses for God at the very beginning of this psalm, there's instruction there. In verse 1, he uses the name Lord. But in verse 2, he says uh, he is God of gods. And in verse 3, he is Lord of lords. And then at the very bottom in verse 26, he is God of heaven, uh, uh, implicitly saying that he is the only God of heaven. And so uh, the emphasis in these various names for God are the uniqueness of God in comparison to other gods, to other lords, which are no gods, no lords at all. He's the God over all other gods, the Lord over all other lords, and the only God in heaven. Now, it could be that the poet believes that Christians, well, they're a temperamental lot. 
Even though we profess faith uh, in uh, Jesus Christ, we uh, tend to be the kind of people that err on the side of becoming adulterers in our faith. We uh, happen to chase after, not all the time, but occasionally chase after these lowercase gods. And so we need to be reminded that he is the God of all gods. And we occasionally will uh, flirt with the lords uh, who are lords with a capital L. And so we need to be reminded, as we are in verse 3, that no, he is the Lord of all lords. You know, we uh, to, seem to, as Christians, find a great deal of comfort in living with substitute gods and substitute lords. It's almost uh, as if the poet is saying, I know how your hearts work. You are the kinds of people who will be tempted by other gods and other lords. And so we're being here explicitly, explicitly commanded, thank God of gods, Lord of lords, the only God in heaven. Thank him. It's as if the poet is um, at, the, at the end of his senses. He's frustrated with us. And so uh, we're commanded to give thanks because our allegiances can so often be plural allegiances. Uh, we want the freedom to be able to thank God most of the time and give our most eloquent thanks to him. But we also want to reserve the right to uh, thank our lesser gods as, as well, pay uh, obedience uh, to them also to thank God, but to thank other things and to thank other people and to thank other fortuitous events or chances that occur in our lives. And what this does is it makes us a rather divided people, a people who are uh, actually individually uh, a torn uh, people, a divided uh, mind, a divided heart. And it seems as though uh, the poet of Psalm 136 knows that about us. And so, uh, finally, we, we get to this repeti- repetition 26 times of a single phrase, for a steadfast love endures forever. And I think that this here then becomes the point of the motivation for the, for, uh, the poet to us. Uh, this phrase, for his steadfast love endures forever, is meant to serve as a, as a new focal point in our hearts to return us to a proper thanks, a, a thanks to God and God alone, even when we're barraged with an ocean of distractions that would prevent Uh, prevent that kind of thanks to the God alone. And so the poet actually doesn't repeat his command over and over again. That's something that's important to notice. Four times he says, give thanks. But if we're so distracted, why wouldn't he say not four times, but 26 times, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks, give thanks. Stop teasing the cat. But he doesn't do that. Instead, what the poet repeats is his steadfast love endures forever, and the poet is perfectly happy to repeat that without end. You know, that, that word uh, for his steadfast love endures forever, that word for, it's actually in the Hebrew, it's not a preposition for his steadfast love endures forever. It's not a preposition, it's a conjunction. Uh, uh, one of the ways that we could read this phrase is, is as a confident assertion. It's almost a boast. Uh, It's not simply because his steadfast love endures forever. Uh, The poet really is saying, indeed, his steadfast love endures forever. Or uh, truly his steadfast love endures forever. Or verily, or uh, you can count on it, or don't even doubt it. Give thanks. 
Count on it. His steadfast love endures forever. And so how then does the, does the command at the very beginning work, the command to give thanks? Well, to this poet, by the Holy Spirit, the command to give thanks, it really only works with the repetition of something about the character of God. His steadfast love truly endures forever. And so the command works not because I wallow in the guilt of my own failure to give thanks. The command doesn't work because I'm simply going to try harder next time than I did this time. The command works because of who God is. You see, the poet believes that because God showers his children with the love of his own character, they cannot help but, but, but be marked with thankfulness. That's how the command works is important, but let's, let's dwell for a moment on the repetition, what the repetition means. And the repetition means this. God is faithful. You know, this phrase, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, maybe you don't see this, but it's actually a, a, a code when uh, the original uh, audience would have heard for his steadfast love endures forever, uh, their minds would have unfolded a beautiful narrative of when that phrase had been used in the history of the, uh, the uh, Hebrew people. Now, to us, it might sound vaguely familiar. It certainly sounds very holy. It sounds like it probably ought to be someplace else in the Bible. And in fact, there's probably a hymn or two or three that has this phrase because it sounds well, it sounds rather familiar. But to the original audience, it would have stuck immediately. It's not vague at all to them. This phrase 26 times, uh, the poet himself is actually being very uh, clever. And here's, here's uh, why this is. The phrase means that God is faithful to his people, but also that he's faithful to himself. And let me tell you first how it is that they would understand from this phrase that God is faithful to his people. The original audience would immediately recognize faithfulness in a few historical events in which this phrase was prominent. Uh, remember uh, in First Chronicles 16 when the Ark of the Covenant is placed inside the tent that David made in Jerusalem. And uh, remember that David is uh, singing and he's dancing and he is embarrassing uh, Michael. Uh, but as uh, David is singing, he is leading the people in song. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. That being sung by the people as the Ark is brought into the tent in Jerusalem. And then later, when David's son, Solomon, uh, completes the, the, uh, the temple, uh, his son mimics dad in Second Chronicles 5. And so as the ark is now brought into the Holy of Holies, uh, Solomon quotes his father. And not only does he sing, but he leads the entire people of Jerusalem to sing, God is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Solomon remembered the song of his, day, of his father. And then about 80 years after the death of King Solomon, King Jehoshaphat is terror-stricken. Moabites are surrounding the city of Jerusalem. Ammonites are surrounding the city of Jerusalem. And King Jehoshaphat gathers the city around him behind the walls in Jerusalem. And all of them pray together. And Second Chronicles 20 tells us that they laid all their faces on the ground, the inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem. And they prayed to God. 
And then the soldiers get up and the soldiers go out to battle. Uh, The men uh, were appointed uh, to go before the soldiers, uh, not with weaponry, but instead with song. And what song were they singing as they go out to fight? They're singing, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. Before the battle takes place. And God routs their enemies that day. And then uh, after King Jehoshaphat dies, some 250 years later, uh, Jerusalem is about to be destroyed by Babylon. Uh, Siege works of Babylon are being built outside the walls of the city. And Jeremiah sings a loud song of hope before the people of Jerusalem. He tells the people that God will uh, rebuild them as a people, that God will cleanse them from all guilt and sin in Jeremiah 33. And what does Jeremiah tell them to do in their hour of terror? Sing, give thanks to the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, for the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. And then after Jeremiah dies, after the city of Jerusalem falls, after the uh, people of Israel uh, spend uh, some 40 years in exile, they return from that exile And just when the foundation stone of the temple is laid to construct the second temple now in Jerusalem, a new body of people sing just as David did almost 400 years earlier. And what do they sing? For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. Now you know every episode in the history of the people of Israel in which that song was sung. And each time this phrase is used in the history of God's people, it is used in Jerusalem to remind them that God, he is faithful despite all circumstances. Even in very unsuspecting circumstances, the birth of a fledgling nation, the threat of complete destruction, the destruction itself, and the return to a city of rubble, God is faithful. For his love endures forever is the heart cry of God's faithfulness in difficult circumstances. And when the psalmist uses it 26 times, it would echo in their souls for years. So he's faithful to his people. But he's, he's more important than that. He's, he's, he's faithful actually to himself. Because the word that shows up 26 times, that's, that's often translated as steadfast love, is really a special word in the Hebrew language. It's actually a very unique word. The word is in Hebrew, chesed. And chesed means steadfast love. As close as we can get to it. One of the great failings of many translations of the Old Testament is that this word is often left translated as merely love. But in the Hebrew, it's a very special word. It's unique. God's chesed love is a love that is intimately close to his character, attached to his character. It's the kind of love that is particularly uh, cloaked, uh, uh, attached to the deepest part of the substance of God. It's a word that reverberates with a love that is contingent not upon others, but upon God himself. Think about this in Exodus 34 when uh, God passes by Moses. God himself proclaims the Lord, the Lord, using his own divine name from Exodus 3. Lord, Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in chesed love and faithfulness, keeping 
uh, hesed love for thousands of years. Forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Exodus 34, these are the very words of God speaking to Moses. Telling Moses that the kind of love that he has is a hesed love. A steadfast love. And this love belongs to all of those whom God voluntarily enters into a covenant relationship with. He makes himself belong to them, not by their lovableness. He makes himself belong to them by his steadfast love. Imagine that. As lovable as you might think that you are, God doesn't love you because you're lovable. You're not lovable. God loves you because he is faithful, not merely to you. He is faithful to himself. King David says that there is no God like this, no God in heaven, no God in earth, who keeps his covenant and has hesed love for his servants. There's no God like this. And so often we read that God is faithful to his people, not because of who his people are, but because God remembers what? He remembers his own covenant. It's his character it's his character that motivates him to love not your character god made promises to us in his grace and he keeps those promises because you're so faithful or i'm so faithful no So he's faithful to his people, but he's also faithful to himself. And so when the poet says 26 times his steadfast love endures forever, he's saying that God's love for us in Jesus can no more change than his character can change. He's saying that his steadfast love can no more change than his covenant promise keeping can change. That's the kind of love that God gives to us by his grace. And so remember, would you, that the poet believes that because God showers his children with a love of his own character, they cannot help but be marked with thankfulness. I mean, to, to, to get you and I to see this, we, we need to understand that God's love is, is based not upon our devotion. His faithfulness to the people of Jerusalem is not due to the people of Jerusalem. It's due to his own character of covenant making and covenant keeping. So when you begin to see this, God's closeness to you even as you run from him. God's remembrance of you even as you forget him. When you see this, you begin to see just glimmers of the answer to this question. Who then is this psalm for? Well, it's for people who forget to give thanks. That's who the psalm's for. It's for you because you forget to give thanks. And it's for me because I forget to give thanks. You know, when we look at this psalm uh, without the repeated phrases, we can can actually see what the psalmist is praising God for, that uh, God is the God of creation. He does great wonders. He made the great lights to rule over the day and the night. And then he moves on to say that he's a God of creation, but he's also a God of deliverance. He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, divided the Red Sea into two. And then the, the poet moves on and he says he's the God of creation, of deliverance. He's also the God of conquest. He struck down great kings killed mighty kings Uh, Sihon uh, and Og are mentioned 
but this really precludes the defeat of Canaan, uh, a land that he gave to his people as a heritage in verse 21. So God is a, he's a God of creation, the God of deliverance. He's the God of conquest. And then finally there at the very end, starting in verse 23, this is where I'd like us to conclude. He's the God of restoration. In verses 23 through 25, there is this language of a, of a return from exile. Uh, he says that God is the kind of God who remembers the people in their low estate, verse 23. And to many scholars, this uh, seems to be a reference to a restoration that will one day happen. And so here in verse 23 is a prophecy of the return to exile. Some scholars, lesser scholars in my mind, think that Psalm 136 is actually written during the exile because of verse 23. It sounds like it's the kind of psalm that was written to celebrate a return from exile of some sort. But I don't think it was written during the period of the exile. I think it's written during the life of King David. And I think it's a prophecy of a restoration in the future that this God of creation and deliverance and conquest will prove himself to be a God of restoration. But there's something more here. When the poet says that God remembers us in our lowest state, when he remembers us in our humiliation, when he remembers us in our point of embarrassment... Do you think that the poet in verse 23 may actually be referring to the present? To how you showed up this morning? And to how I showed up this morning? As someone who is slowly beginning to recognize that the thanks that we offer to God is not the thanks that God deserves. We're learning something about our our own uh, fanciful interest in chasing after uh, distractions, trinkets, that I might give thanks to those things, my paycheck, my job, my career, or that I might give uh, thanks to uh, my relationships, people who uh, help me along the way, or that I might be uh, thankful for something as silly as a bank account. And maybe in the realization of that, we might take one more step and realize that we are really a people who were found out in our humiliation. And I do hope that uh, over the course of this worship service, that is something that you suspect about yourself, that you're not nearly as lovable as you think you are. There may be uh, an event that verse 23 is referring to in which there is some kind of political restoration. But this very line in the poetry reminds me of something that's happening right now. That through the poet's reminder, the the reader, the hearer, the singer, even in their uh, thankfulness, well, they know that they're a lot more thankless than they considered And even in that thanklessness, even in that need for a reminder, give thanks to God, give thanks to God, even as they need to hear that, they need to hear this, that God is a God who remembers you, even when you forget him. After all, there's something important about each of the things that the poet tells us about what God has done. He's created, he's delivered, he's conquested, and he is restored And the God who did all of these things, he did so out of a chesed love. And that chesed love is with me today. You don't think he's just uh, recounting historical events, do you? 
The God who created and delivered and conquested, he is the God who is never changing and his love endures forever. He's the same God who is remembering you in your lowest state, even when you forget him. You see, the crisis that we find ourselves in today is a crisis in which we think that God only works in the past, not in the present. But the poet tells us that his love endures forever. And if his love endures forever, regardless of what circumstances you presently find yourself in, God's love is with you. He doesn't work only in the past. He can't only work in the past. His love endures forever. And then another crisis we run into, uh, first the crisis of thinking that God only works in the past and not the present. But another crisis is, is that we think that God works uh, only when my, when my life is together, when I, when I have things fairly well sorted. But God is going to actually stop working on me at a certain point because I'm going to prove to be so odious to him that he'll turn his back on me and he will walk away. I'd walk away on myself and he will too. But his chesed love is a steadfast love that endures forever. It wasn't true only then, it's true now. And if time doesn't change that love, does your filth change that love? Does your sin change that love? Does your forgetfulness change that love? Well, he is the God who remembers. He's faithful not because of who you are. He's faithful because of who he is. His steadfast love endures forever. And he chases you. He chases you into your low estate. Because your low estate never drops beneath his level of interest. His love is a chesed love. It's based upon his own character. And your filth and your sin is never going to be too much for him. He is a God whose love endures forever. And he is a God who can endure your brokenness. And he is a God who remember you even if you forget him. You can forget him a million times. He will remember you three million times. His love is a hesed love. And so the poet wants us to remember this. The poet earnestly believes that because God showers his children with the love of his own character, the love of his own character, they cannot help but be marked with thankfulness. My brothers and sisters, his steadfast love endures forever. His steadfast love, it endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. Let's pray together. Our Holy Father, we are forgetful. But your steadfast love endures. And we thank you for saving us in such a way that our salvation can never be taken from us. We thank you for your steadfast love. And now by your spirit, send us from this place filled with with thankfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.